Okay, I'm with Robbie Krutoff. Things we shouldn't talk about. 11 minutes short film played at the LA LGBTQ plus uh, film festival, a film about mental health, uh, the impact that religion has on the LGBTQ community. Uh, fantastic film. In this particular film, we follow Aaron um, in his journey and he, because he's from a family of, of, it's kind of like a family business of pastors. But I was reading your bio, uh, Robbie, it's similar to you. This is kind of a very personal story for yourself too. You're from a kind of a minister kind of family as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up uh, the son of two Pentecostal pastors uh, in a small town in Australia. So there's a lot of parallels between my story mm-hmm. and Aaron's story. Um, my brother, my uncle, my aunt are all Pentecostal ministers. So it's a family business as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just like Aaron, I was I was studying to be a minister. Um, So when I heard his story and when I found him and started chatting to him about this, uh, the parallels were just uncanny. So it it was interesting interviewing him and hearing my story through his mouth. Uh, It was even some of the words and phrases, even though we grew up a world apart, uh, were so similar. Literally, because he's Arkansas, Australia, right? So yeah. Yeah, they both start with an A. <laughs> but, <laughs> but okay, so I'm just curious about okay, so the it's a, it's a situation where like you're it's it's kind of like you're trying to convince yourself. Like from a per, we'll talk about the personal level first because there's obviously a macro story sure. here. But from a personal level, like you're just trying to convince yourself of something that's not, I guess, growing up, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, so so trying to convince myself to not be gay, you mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So um, in that in that world, we did not want to be gay. We we wanted to both Aaron and myself loved our faith, and we wanted to continue with that. Uh, yeah. It was a huge part of who we who we are, and just the foundation of who we are. So uh, the choice between. Uh, not that it's a choice, but it, but but uh, being gay or being able to live the life that, that we loved at that time in the community that we loved, mm. um, we we thought we could choose to be straight, but obviously that didn't work. But like, but that's that's so from the macro story. There's there's a lot of similar stories where where you're trying you're trying to, to change your like you know what I mean, change it up, and then if you yeah. if all your mentors like if it's anything growing up, it's if all your mentors and people you look up to are saying that this is wrong, then you you believe them, right? So it's like it's that simple. Exactly, everything that you're all the messages that you're getting from from your church family, which is you know you grow up with these people. Um, so from your church family, your own family at, at home, the, in the family unit, from school, from, from everywhere, all the information that you're getting is saying that this is wrong. Uh, and the fact that the reason why I called it things we shouldn't talk about is because we don't really talk about it. Uh, at least in when I grew up, it, it just wasn't really talked about apart from at, on the pulpit when it was spoken about next to horrible sins like rape and 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 bestiality and all these things and then there's homosexuality which was kind of at the top of that that list but you know we we don't talk about in in the in the home unit in terms of giving it a a reality so when someone is gay in that world or or is non-heterosexual in that world 
and you believe that you're alone because no one else is really talking about it apart from the fact that it's just this deadly sin yeah yeah and and so but so then obviously like you you made like you you could have made a film about yourself i guess right but you chose you you, you chose aaron so where did you first meet aaron uh actually through the san francisco gay men's choir uh when okay. i moved to san francisco um and we just got chatting one night and over the course of our uh our friendship that developed uh realized that there were just so, so many parallels um and i just thought this is this is crazy how can how can this be and so the 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 short is about aaron's story specifically yeah. but i've done a lot of research and met a lot dozens of others religious trauma and suicide survivors um from this space uh i've interviewed clergymen from both sides of advocate groups researchers uh and i've and every time i speak to a survivor or someone that's gone through this uh whether whether it be no, no matter their gender identity or where they grew up, the similarities are striking between all of our stories. So, um, yeah, I just, I just thought Aaron was going to be the perfect person to to put up there for for this, um, because he was just first of all so articulate, um, but then also his story just really spoke to me. And he was willing to do it. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the biggest things. I, I never want to interview someone who is in a tumultuous place in terms of their mental health. Like they need to have been in a place where they're confident and, and willing to do this. Um, and this is something that I that I I let him know a lot. I think one of the things that really helped with this interview though, is that I actually only filmed it on, on two iPhones. Yeah. And I did that on purpose because I know for myself, if I was sitting there trying to talk about all of these things, these uh, things that they, he probably hasn't really spoken about to, to many other people in his life. Um, with having the whole setup with with lighting and, and sound and all the cameras and other people in the room, it, it's not as easy to be able to talk about these things. So I knew just with two iPhones, which can, after a while, can kind of melt into, into the background, it really just became a chat between him and I. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny that you mentioned that because there's uh, there's a lot of documentary filmmakers who are, who are talking about that, like in terms of the interviewing, especially when there's like when something's very vulnerable mm. and now the technology, they're able to basically just put something and then people forget that it's there instead of bringing a whole crew in like yeah. tripod and like and then you're always aware that the camera's there. Right. So it's just funny how documented filmmaking is evolving because the technology in the production values there with that kind of with the, with the iPhone, I guess. Right. It is. I mean, there's obviously still some limitations. Of course. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but in terms of just doing an interview, it works, right? It, it works really well. Yeah. Um, I'm actually working on uh, taking this to a, to a bigger uh, three-part limited series or potentially full. That was my, my, that was my question. <laughs> Cause there is potential for a feature or a mini series. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so through this through this documentary, through the doing the the um, film festival circuit, I've now got a couple of producers, and we're pitching to uh, some other production houses and um, studios. But um, one of the things I would I, I'm debating is is I would love to just carry a few iPhones around and interview these people and just have a chat with me and them in the room. Yeah, because you know, interviewing anyone, especially to something so vulnerable 
you don't just meet someone and then ask them their deepest, darkest secrets. I've spent months, sometimes years, developing these relationships so that they're willing to talk to me and that I know that they're in a good space mentally to be able to do that. Um, so then to come in with a big crew, uh, it, 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 it just is almost counterproductive. Yes, the production value will be there, but is the content going to be there? So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment, trying to decide what that looks like. Well, I, we could talk afterwards, but uh, there's a there's a filmmaker named Max Westerman who uh, who basically very seasoned filmmaker. He made a, a feature called My Friend the Mayor, Small Town Paul. He basically is about this guy who lives in like middle Pennsylvania, red red states that, and he's a gay mayor. And he basically did the whole film on iPhone, and now it's on Amazon distribution oh, wow. deal and everything. And he talked about just what you said about like and he because everything everybody was so vulnerable he was interviewing all these small town people he was able to get all this amazing footage because it was an iphone because people forgot that the phone was there yeah and and so basically i think there i think there's potential especially a film like this that they they use the they use the iphone and basically you can in editing you kind of figure it out and, and do some good technology so just something to throw out there if you want you can talk to, i can share your information with them later on but yeah that'd be great. there is there is potential for that kind of kind of concept so okay so then you so basically what is your filmmaking experience before this film <laughs> not very much okay um, so uh this was kind of almost one of my one of my first tries of, of putting anything on the on the film uh festival circuit um I was actually doing a, a master's of advertising and uh, through that, one of the uh, required courses was uh, a short form storytelling class where we learned how to edit and do all the rest of it. So just from that one semester class, I kind of just ran with it. I mean, this is, this is a story I've been working on for over five years now, researching, speaking to people. Um, I wrote my own memoir, uh, and it, this kind of developed then once once I learned the basic skills of filmmaking and editing, I was like, this is it. This is exactly the medium I've been looking for to be able to tell the story because I know it's so much bigger than me and my yeah. story. Uh, so, yeah. So then so then this is something that you, you've like in the blog interview, you were kind of talking about like you've had this idea for a mm -hmm. long time. Yeah. And you wanted to share and then it kind of like you found your your subject guy. It's a good, it's like from a practical level, it's a good proof of concept film. It's mm. 10 minutes and it shows what, how big this story is. And not, right. not even on your website, uh, we'll link to your website on the podcast is that you, you have all these statistics and you can see that this is, this is a serious issue. And this is, this needs to be documented and people like Garen are so free to share. So yeah, so I think you're. I don't know if you you were ca calculate being calculated about this because I know you're getting you're getting uh, feelers now, but it's like it's a great proof of concept because it's like this is this is a show this is or this is a feature film, right? Yeah. So it it I, I kind of yeah I was slightly calculated about it, but then it just ended up developing into that anyway. I mean, a lot I think a lot of the times was like as I said, I haven't done a whole lot of films, but. But when I have, it kind of just, you know, you have an idea at the start and then it kind of just really develops and you have to just go yeah. with what it's telling you to do. Um, and this just really turned into a great proof of concept. And that is how I've been able to get my foot in a few doors, at least to speak to people. 100%. Uh, which has been which has been great. So because you got because you have a, like some really uh, alarming stats on 
on, on the website. And there was something that, that jumped out for me. It said that youth who leave the religion are twice as likely to attempt suicide. Mm. And I thought that would, that would be, they would, they wouldn't have, like, I thought that would be the opposite if there was an yeah. opposite case. So why is that the case? Why are they twice as likely after they relieve the religion? I figured if you leave a toxic environment, right. then you, you, you're, you're going to be better off, I guess. Right. Well, it's, so it's, it's interesting that you touch on that stat because the researcher uh, who's out of um, the university of Rochester, um, the one that came out with the, those statistics and did the, the research, he, he's been getting a lot of pushback from this because most researchers are saying no, and most psychologists are saying no, they need to get out of that toxic environment. Um, and the reason I put that there is just to understand that a lot of people like myself, like Aaron, didn't want to leave that environment. It was, it was home. It's what you grew up in. Uh, it's, you, you literally grew up with these people. And so leaving all of that and everything you know, you're kind of in this, this bubble of a world and you know nothing else. So then as soon as you are, you're out of that world, you are ostracized from everyone that you loved or knew and then suddenly thrown into this world that you don't understand or you don't know uh, is, is jarring and it's shocking and it adds to um, the, the suicide risk. So... I think it just goes to show that this is not such a black and white issue. Yeah. It's very nuanced. Um, and one of the things that I want to show through this is that, uh, you know, faith uh, is still possible for LGBTQ plus people. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yes, it's a toxic environment a lot of the time. And yes, you need to get out of that. But that doesn't mean that you have to give up faith altogether. 100%. Okay. I gotcha. And also, like, it, there's that there's got to be that guilt factor too, right? Where like everything's so messed up. We're like, mm -hmm. you, you, you leave and then, but you're still feeling guilty about leaving, I guess too, right? Yes. Oh yes. Oh yeah. I yeah. think probably even to this day, I have some, some issues with, with guilt uh, over that because, you know, in these foundational years, when, when these things are pressed upon you, it's, it's extremely hard to be able to, undo some of those some of those things some of those hurts um so yeah guilt is, is a huge part of it and, it and it's kind of it's kind of the basis of a lot of the mental health issues that people in those situations face because that guilt turns into self hatred which then just grows from there yeah and also too you love your parents right like in right. and, and it's and this is an ideological like issue like if i'm just trying to be diplomatic about it yeah like you're so you love your parents and they love you but then you're not on the same page about something which is some, yeah. not just a small thing a huge thing a, a gigantic thing and it's like and then so you can't be the same again you know that relationship has will change or or disappear i guess right yeah and and the thing that i want people to understand is that especially through the, the full length that i wanted to is that these people within the church, they're not, they're generally not bad people. They're not horrible people. They're actually trying to do what they think is right. So they genuinely believe that they're going to go to hell, that yeah. their kid is going to go to hell. And that terrifies them. So they're going to do whatever they can to stop that from happening. So it's not that they're out to get anyone most of the time. I mean, yes, there's zealots out there and there's people out there that I'm not going to move the needle on them. So I'm not even going to try. But for the most part, people within a congregation, within a church, 
are more just misinformed rather than rather than than hateful or evil or, or anything like that. Um, I gotcha. So I'm I'm actually interviewing uh, family religious family members of people who are LGBTQ and, and are struggling with that um, to just be able to hear why it's such a struggle for them. Yeah. It, it's amazing too how far we've gone. Like and like I, because I remember I'm from a small town, Niagara Falls, and I remember my sister was getting married to uh, to somebody, and then there was a gay. He had a gay brother, but nobody talked about it. Right. <laughs> right. Like it's like Catholic church, Catholic wedding. It's like he had a, had a partner. Everybody was okay with it, but you just couldn't talk about it. No. Right. And it's and it's interesting now that 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 did such harm back then where it was such a taboo and, and you, you shouldn't talk about it. But then nowadays I'm like, why is there an increase in uh, the mental health and suicide risk for this community when the increased visibility, increased representation, surely that's going to reduce. But the reason why it's actually one of the reasons we're finding that it's it's starting to increase is because there's more rhetoric now. So in the, in the household, in the church, in those, yeah. in the schools, um, they're having to confront that increased visibility. So they're having to talk about it. And that when they're talking about it to their kids in the household setting, it's negative rhetoric. It yeah. is not good. So there's now that we're talking about it, it's actually doing more harm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's- There's a term it's called, I think it's called the age of Trump, right? It's like, really, right. It's, it's that kind of rhetoric, right? It's like, yeah. it's, 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 the, it's, it's almost like, it's like feminism in the seventies where like, Right, right. And all of a sudden there's this huge resistance to that, right? Yes. So yeah. So you because you because that's because you start with the film with Jimmy Seibert, Siebert, um, yep. who's this who's the, he's making this a business, right? Right. He's making his his callings about homosexuality being evil, blah, blah, blah. And so that's how you start your film with that kind of like that rhetoric, right? That 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 vocal person who's on TV or in, in spouting his, you know, nonsense, my, my words, not yours, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so basically he, so that's how you start your film. You start your film with that level, I guess, that intense level, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I ended it specifically with him because, uh, you, you know, I debated whether giving him quote unquote the last word, uh, in the, in the film, but I, I ended with him because he, he, and I'm paraphrasing, says something along the lines of, uh, the church is going to be the the loving healing place for LGBTQ people, basically for gay people. Yeah. And it's interesting because that's, I think, genuinely how what he believes, um, which is which is shocking. Seeing that these stats are, you know, people within queer people within religious queer youth within uh, those religious settings are up to ten times more likely to commit suicide. Yet they still believe people like. Pastor Jimmy Siebert still believe that they're doing good by trying to. Do you know, but that's the whole point. Do you think that this guy? I think he's just trying to make money, right? Like yeah. he's bringing in those those people, those 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 wackos that, and he's in Waco. But basically, yeah. he he's bringing in those because he knows that that rhetoric, as you described, is will will bring him more attention, right? It yes, it will. But I, I, I still believe that, yes, so there, there is definitely, especially uh, in America, I've found that there is, it's definitely business uh, here. Um, but at the same time, I think he believes, I was watching the entirety of that sermon, and he was saying that 
he he actually said that he's seen thousands thousands of people who have changed their sexuality through prayer and through whatever steps that he wants them to take which is just completely unbelievable yeah um, especially when there's no evidence for it yeah and, but also too it's like a lot of these guys are you know i'm gonna i'm gonna say it you don't have to say it are probably gay <laughs> themselves right like yeah there's there's a lot of that yeah. um the the one of the one of the the high up leadership at his church professes to be um an, an ex-gay um but then it, it just gets so muddy because like what the maybe he was attracted to a guy once or like or who knows maybe he's bi maybe he's who knows on the spectrum of things where where he sits but to be able to say that he was gay and then he's not gay is just damaging and deadly yeah see we the interesting thing is that a lot of people don't know because there's been so much progress in the lgb community so if you're not looking at things day to day because right. gay marriage is okay, and this is and everything, nobody really sixty five percent of the population are okay with it, right? So then, so then that that's the non issue with both political parties, right? But there's so, so they think that everything's okay with the gay community, but and so people don't realize there's still gay conversion camps. Oh yeah, like oh. They, they're still legal in like twenty, I think twenty two states. Yep. Yeah. And the worst thing is even even where they're illegal. They're just called something different. Yeah, and I and and it is just such a big bigger issue than than just conversion therapy. Although that is extremely damaging. I mean, Aaron went through conversion therapy. I didn't. I actually ended up running away from home before that happened. But the damage was still done. Yeah. The, the, those years of uh, mental anguish and torment were, was was still done. I still I still have had the same mental health issues that Aaron has had, even though I didn't go through conversion therapy because your entire life is conversion therapy. Like everyone is talking to you and all the information that you're getting is saying, you cannot be this, you cannot be that, you have to be this, you have to change. Because I was never the most masculine of kids or wanted to do, you know, I was always a little bit different. And so uh, in those settings, in, especially in those small towns, if you're not exactly what a man is supposed to be if I was more interested in drawing than I was in playing sports and so therefore that scene is gay and I'm not allowed to do that I had to stop drawing I had to stop doing these things so just every or just the way I walked or talked or everything about you was constantly trying to be changed because they're they're worried that you might be gay which it, their worries were true, but <laughs> no, yeah, and like it leads to that. Like you said, it leads to that mental health because it's like you're you, you're you're still not free, I guess, emotionally, right? No, and and what happens is in conversion therapy, yes, there's there's these horrible things that happen where where people get physically or emotionally abused when they say or do the wrong thing to be able to train change their behavior. Well, for for people like myself and and 99% of the of the survivors I've been speaking to, we end up doing that to ourselves. So that self-hatred eventually turns into self-harm or, or, or suicide ideation and attempts. So every time that there is, you have a quote unquote bad thought or, or you think about holding someone's hand or whatever it may be, or you act a certain way that's not masculine enough or feminine enough or whatever it is, you end up 
harming yourself whether and you know that can start emotionally but for me it started with with throwing up things that I ate and then you know eventually came to to cutting and harming and and the development is very similar amongst everyone that I speak to about this so you end up being your own conversion therapy because you punish yourself every time and you don't do that in in the view of anyone else you do it by yourself alone so without sounding too obvious there 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 seems to be a, needs to be a place for and i'm sure there is i'm sure there is like and i don't we don't know too much about it for these kids to be able to go mm. you know what i mean so then as you talk about like i think it's happening as we as we even were talking like but more in a mainstream uh way where like 13 whatever old they are they, they're able to go somewhere and or talk to somebody you know what i mean like the, where they can yeah. feel so then that that damage can get limited i guess well so that is that is one of the hardest things especially in some of these communities uh these smaller communities the conservative yeah. communities because a lot of the times they don't their schools won't have any gay affirming um groups because they won't allow it uh they're banning gay books from the from the schools uh and then there's there's amazing organizations like the trevor project um, who are uh, the largest um, suicide hotline for LGBTQ youth. Uh, the issue is in that family unit, depending on how strict it is, they may not allow their kids to be able to call numbers like that yeah. or, or follow social media accounts like that. So it really, there, there are resources out there now, which is wonderful, but some of the times it's just impossible for these for these kids to be able to uh, attain that yeah well it's one of the i guess there's there's just a lot of positives to uh social media is that there's but they're when they're 12 years old and they have their own phone and they're away from home i guess they can ideally they can they can reach out to to more of like people and who are like-minded i guess right yes on the flip side of that there's a researcher out of the university of um Georgia, she was she studied this specifically um, of um, social media and LGBTQ youth in religious settings, and she was saying that social media, yes, it, it can be a good thing, but it can also be a negative because a lot of these households they control exactly what they see on their social media. So these these parents, uh, they're the ones that pick what they can see on their social media. So a lot of the times they're getting that same negative rhetoric through their social gotcha. media yeah. um, and when you're sitting just scrolling for hours a day on on these social media uh it just is so de detrimental it's like the algorithm right where like it's yeah, like exactly. if their parents are using the same ip and they're using the they're yeah it's, i understand what you're saying man this is this is like you said like this is a great 11 minute film but obviously even what we're talking about there's a lot of there's a lot of that. There's a lot of uh, series, as you said. Like I'm sure you have all kinds of ideas, but this is a huge topic without it without is. being cliche. I guess, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. And and the more that I've delved into it, the more I realize it's just bigger than I than I even realized, and yeah. I kind of lived through it. So uh, it's just more nuanced now. With I mean, I'm 40, so I dealt with it, you know, 20 plus years ago. So nowadays, there's just so much, so many more things that these that these kids have to deal with um 
so yeah trying to understand that is is interesting yeah i guess, I guess the, my point too using the analogy with like the gay is like it's like the the average person is is like if they knew what we're talking about then they would have issues with it but it's like it's a lot of yeah. these things it's like like i said like people just go about their day and they think oh you know, gay marriage is okay. And like, they just right. look at that topic and they go, yeah, the, the gay community is doing great. Right. Like yeah. that's like. Exactly. And, but because there's all that increased visibility and, and increased uh, rights, it's actually that conservative backlash. Yeah. That is, is causing the most vulnerable, which is kids from conservative religious households within small, smaller towns. Um, they're the ones that are the most vulnerable because they're receiving most of that backlash. I see what you're saying. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, like it's like Obama comes in the office and then there's more racist rhetoric occurring, Correct. I guess. Right. Correct. So, yeah. It's you just use that kind of just use an allegory. So what did you think about our audience in the audience feedback um, video that we sent you? Yeah, it was great. I, I really enjoyed that. That was the first time I'd had uh, that kind of experience. So that was really cool just to hear people's reactions. It's always good as any kind of artist, but filmmakers specifically, to be able to hear that feedback and understand what actually touches with people. There were some specific lines that they brought up, which was great because I had debated whether I would put that in or not. Um, you know, when you've got footage from that one interview of two hours of us sitting there chatting yeah. and trying to decide what to put in, what not to put in. So it was nice to know that some of those lines landed um, and, and some of those things really touched um, with people. So it was, it was really helpful. What did Aaron think of the film when he watched it? Uh, so I was really worried to show him at first. I showed him before I, you know, put it anywhere sure. and always got his permission whenever I did anything. But um I was a little worried. I was like, oh God, is this going to ring? First of all, is it going to ring true for him? Is it going to feel authentic for him? Um, and it did. He he cried when he watched it. Um, and he was like, it, it, for a lot of different reasons, yeah. it you know brought up a lot for him. But at the same time, he, I think he was still debating through the process whether this was really going to help anyone. What's the point of this? Um, but then after he watched it, he was like, oh, I can see now how this could potentially help someone. Yeah. It was like if I had watched this however many years ago, uh, all my parents had potentially this could have helped in some yeah. way. That's what it's about. And yeah, and he, he's so brave for sharing his story like yeah. that. Like, uh, yeah. he's, he's a great he's a great communicator. And like, yeah, and you got, like, he, like I said, great. It's a really good film. It's like that simplicity. It's like you told a story and like, <laughs> and then you got like it, it's like and people don't know it's like it's so similar to yours so i wish you the best of luck i know you have some great ideas and uh this is the, the such an important film and i like i like i a lot of festivals frown upon this but you have your film online you want everybody to watch it on your website totally fine because <laughs> because i think you're smart enough to know the more people watch it the better the better exactly. right exactly yeah that's what it's about right exactly Okay, Thank so this, is, Sorry, yeah, this has been this has been wonderful. The 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 process through this festival has been amazing. Um so responsive. I've gotten more info and feedback through this festival than, than any of the others that, that I've been involved in. Well, I appreciate that. So well, let's talk again when you uh when you get your make your series or whatever, we'll yeah. do whatever we can to help. 
Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Schlemiel, Schlemizel, Hasenbamp Incorporated. We're gonna do it. Give us any chance, we'll take.